welcome to the Pondering Theologian podcast. I am the host, Nathaniel. In in this episode, I am going to share some thoughts that I gave in a sermon uh, over Father's Day. And I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading the the lectionary, which is, uh, a lectionary is just a preset schedule of scriptures from the Bible, uh, generally across from the Bible. It's the Old Testament, a psalm, a uh, epistle or a New Testament text, and then a gospel. It's generally what is included, but there's lots of different types of lectionaries. I can do an episode on that in the future to explore that a little more. Um, but I was reading the lectionary uh, for this particular Sunday, uh, June 18th, uh, 2023. And I was going through and it all reminded me of a phrase that I had heard a lot growing up, which is, uh, life isn't fair. And it usually is followed um, by, you know, kind of get over it. Um, And I'll read a couple, um, well, I'll share all of the scriptures and then we'll kind of get into my thoughts and what I shared in that service. Um, But the uh, scriptures are Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 8, which we'll read in a little while. Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 23. Exodus 19, verses 2 through 8, and then Psalm 100. I'm going to read Exodus and Matthew now. Um, I encourage you to read Psalm 100 on your own, and we'll read uh, Romans here in a short while. All right. So Exodus 19, verses 2 through 8 reads, They had journeyed from Rephidim in entered the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my commandment, or my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. But you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Matthew, uh, chapter 9, 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went up about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he came, or when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. 
James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for the journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child, and children will raise against parent and have them put to death. And you will be hated all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Um, so there are many times in life where we find ourselves, you know, up against some sort of odds, you know, something we didn't expect, let alone want. Whether that is the death of a loved one, and now we have to learn how to do life without them, you know, whether that is insecurity in our jobs, instability in our lives, uh, in, in like living situation, uh, changing schools, rocky relationships with those we love, something familiar has changed and not uh, not any comforting and coming out of that anymore. You know, what was comforting perhaps is now jarring. And there are, of course, many more examples. And perhaps the best is the one where we say something again to the following. It isn't fair. Life isn't fair. That is not fair. How dare you? How dare they? How dare God? It simply isn't fair. As I shared uh, in the beginning, you know, growing up and, and yet today, I hear plenty of times that this is said and someone's response is something to the effect of, it's not meant to be fair. Yeah, life's not fair. Deal with it. Get over it. Um, my wife and I lived in South Carolina um, for a while. And when I was down there, we were quite a ways from, you know, family and friends and the familiar. And uh, I had jumped headlong into working for this company. Um, it's generally how I do everything. I Anything that I want to get into, I want to learn everything about it. So I show up to this job. You know, I have two no notebooks that I took everywhere. I had a, like a big... Um, 
notebook and that had all my master notes like the complete big picture and had my pocket notebook which is like my shortcut my quick thoughts my something i need to remember and put into the big notebook later um, and i asked all the questions i shadowed people i assigned myself homework designated for people above my station because i wanted to know how to do my job better than the people above me and all of that gumption generally causes Two reactions, you know, either you get noticed and people are happy to see someone giving it such effort. They want to show you what they know and give you all the answers. Or they are annoyed and you get labeled a, a teacher's pet, that the suck up, the guy who wants your job or something like that. And I got both of those reactions. Um, but in my first four months or so, I had learned all the positions in my store um, from the leadership to the lowest position, I had all of these answers. I was learning stuff I was not intended to. You know, I did all these things without being asked. I was happily being fed information by my store manager. Um, and the position for the second in command came open for our store. And because of all that gumption and all the learning I had done and, and whatnot, I immediately applied and talked it over with the store manager. And um, I was already doing half the work of that station anyway. And so I was told that I was a shoe in for this promotion. Um, and, you know, I had all of the, all the things in order, essentially. Um, a couple weeks after I applied, I walked into work and someone who had started um, just a couple weeks prior to that, uh, who knew much less about the store and the systems, was sitting at the desk with a name tag that showed their promotion to the position that I had wanted. Um, and I found out that it was my boss's boss, the district manager, who had made this decision. And I called them and I asked, you know, what I had missed. I laid out what I had done. I made my uh, complaint and case for why I was a better person for the job. You know, I had this uh, business administration degree. I already had experience in this area and then I came and learned all this stuff for this job at the end of that conversation the manager said you know it doesn't always feel fair but this is my decision and it's what I feel is best you can try again next time uh, essentially life isn't fair get over it and get back to work and we have an interesting kind of spread of scriptures that I read here in this uh, lectionary setup you know we have exodus we have uh, Romans and Matthew, and they're all giving us these different accounts and advice and commands. And of course, uh, the psalm that I recommend reading is a good reminder to praise God, because all too often we are praying our complaints and grumbles and asking for a hand to reach down and change the tide of the oppressors. Uh, in Exodus, we are following the Israelites you know, before they're in the Promised Land, and they're walking in this wilderness around Mount Sinai. And it says they camped in front of this mountain, and is often the case in Moses' um, account in the Bible, he climbs the mountain and talks to God. God has a message, and it is, you have seen what I can do. You were down the path there in Egypt for hundreds of years. You were oppressed and enslaved, and I lifted you out in grand fashion. Not just helped you escape, but lifted you like on the wings of eagles. So that now I have shown you my might, I have shown you my dedication to you, I have saved you. You shall listen to my rules, my decrees, my commands. You will be my people above the rest. You will be an example to the rest of earth. 
Moses comes down and gives this prophetic message to this assembly of the people of God, and they respond, everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. And of course, interestingly or not, as we read not too much further in Exodus, um, we know that's not the case. God has been good to the people of Israel. God saved them, guided them, shielded them as it brought them to a safe place. You know, what does what does God do? God says, obey me. Reciprocate my dedication to you, my people. Yet they, they will not. And, and that's not fair. For sure, if we look at the reciprocity of love and the way in which the Israelites will go against and even outright disregard God, it's not fair to God in the least. I wonder if any of them ever said to the voice with the power of thunder and whose presence seemed to light the mountains ablaze to get over it. Hmm. We'll come back to that. Um, Let's turn to Matthew, though, for a moment. Here we have Jesus, you know, and the disciples and the crowds who accumulated. And we know, we don't know how many this is, but it's estimated, um, including the inner group of disciples, there were about 120 disciples by the time we get to Pentecost who had followed Jesus around. So here we have, you know, between 12 and 120 of Jesus' followers, and then the crowds of the places he had walked through in his ministry. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. These people now have gathered. They've decided to follow Jesus. They are Jews, which means that they are in uh, this country that is um, under control of the Roman Empire, and they are really not treated well. They're kind of just above criminals. You know, Rome inherited the... Not the Jewish people are, are above criminals, and it's just the perspective that the Roman Empire had. They didn't really care for these people. Um, they kind of just inherited the Jewish people. Um, Rome conquered the last occupiers of the land, and it's kind of a pattern that goes on back for a while. And they're not really fans of the Jewish people. And on top of that, Rome does not like, you know, large groups of people just in general because that could be an uprising. And those are annoying and expensive to deal with. So Jews, not really good for Rome. Jesus and his crowd, especially not good in this perspective. And it says that they were harassed and helpless. These people were likely not just harassed by the Roman soldiers, but the religious leaders who were skeptical of this prophet and not a fan of some large crowd to bring down the heavy hand of Rome on their peaceful little villages. It is uh, It creates this weird dual safety issue where they want the crowds to go away because it brings too much attention to them, but also it's not really good for the people of that group. Um does not really particularly seem fair. You know, these people just wanted to live their lives, and Jesus is bringing them some sort of unwanted attention. And for those following Jesus, they're signing up for a life of opposition. They want to be faithful before God and their people, and that they will do what the Lord requires of them. But it doesn't all seem particularly fair. 
I wonder if anyone ever told them to get over it. Likewise, Jesus here has this mixed group of people. He has the Zebedee brothers, these fishermen, and we have tax collectors. We have some good old Jewish boys. We have a zealot uh, who already lived a life of rebellion against Rome. And we have someone who will succumb to the love of money and betray the Lord. These are the people in which Jesus has to give the task of taking his message, the gospel message, into the world. Doesn't quite seem fair, you know, not one of them is a priest or a missionary. It's a bunch of blue-collar peoples being asked to change their careers and life paths. That's all Jesus has. Doesn't quite seem fair. I wonder if God ever told Jesus to get over it in those garden prayer sessions. And then we come to our reading in Romans. And I'll read that now for y'all. It says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, so Jesus Christ came to earth, the physical embodiment of God, fully God, fully human, to rectify our sin issue. When we sin, we create this distance from God, because God cannot be part of sin. It's counter to God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they introduced this rift between humankind and God. They were the first ones to sin. And, you know, there's a bunch of doctrine and theology that we can shorten down here um, to basically say that we sin and we being sinful cannot rectify the problem. You know, someone who's sick can't necessarily be their own doctor. So God comes to earth, becomes human so that God can fix this sin issue. So we might be able to, in the end, be in salvation and get back to where we were meant to be. You know, the whole point of the commandments and the laws of the Bible is so that we can have a happy existence whereby we end up where we were always created to be, which is in paradise. God proves God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. Doesn't really seem fair. <laughs> Doesn't seem fair. We created an issue. We made the problem. We have the burden here, yet because we cannot get out of a sinful shadow, God had to fix the issue. Whether that is we cannot stop sinning in the way that we um, sometimes gatekeep faith, we make it harder for others to come into church, learn about faith, learn more about Jesus, whether we choose not to be faithful to the disciple call of telling all peoples about Jesus, whether we choose to be grumpy and not talk to God because we didn't get our way, whether life didn't go our way, this or that, whatever it is, we create issues and perpetuate it in our app, uh, yeah, obstinance. 
Um, I read recently that the average American breaks three U.S. laws at a minimum when they leave their house. And you can think of the same sort of thing when we think of the Word of God. In some way or another, we constantly find ourselves unable to not sin. Have you ever told God to, too bad, get over it? You came and died for me for my decisions to keep saying judgmental things, keep judging people so I can covet that person, that group, that church over there, so I can keep my idols for myself, whatever that might be. Get over it, God. Life ain't fair. Um, back in that job in South Carolina, I was pretty upset, as you might imagine, that I, I was passed over for a job that I was more qualified for, and I was even more upset that I had to go to work and in part report, report to that person now. And I moaned for a little while, but I kept doing my job. I kept asking questions and learning how to, uh, to do the things that I wanted to do someday. And a few months later, I actually became a gopher for the district manager that passed me over. And when we had left, um, left that area, corporate knew who I was and I had personal phone numbers and recommendations from some of the most important people in our um, little corporate area. And it was not fair when I was passed over and when the system skipped me, when I had to swallow my pride and you know go back and do hard work for people that didn't feel like they deserved it. Um, however, that you know suffering of sorts gave me kind of more lessons and made me do better work. The injustice was not something to just accept. The injustice was the reason for me to make the situation better. Through Jesus Christ, when we have been given the gift of grace, we have been given forgiveness, we have been given without condition the love that overcomes our sin, our descent, our rejection of God's love. And it's absolutely not fair when we come through life and we get given this mixed bag. That is, you know, the good and bad things. We don't want the bad stuff. We don't want the injustice. We don't want to see that, especially when it's directed at us. And Christians here in America like to complain, and I do mean like to complain about being persecuted for our faith, and that rarely is the case. The reality is that we're often challenged, given pushback, opposed, given questions we don't like. Whereas there are Jewish people dying in America today for their faith. There are Christians in South America, in Africa, and in Asia dying right now for their faith, and that's not fair. And the thing about things not being fair is that we have a choice in how we respond. The reformers in the Reformation saw wrongs and injustices. They responded by working to right the wrongs. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., many others saw the injustices of the civil rights and Jim Crow era and responded to right the wrongs. Many a protester across this and other countries respond to the unfairness and wrongs in life and work to make it better. There are many examples of this yet, of God and Jesus Christ giving us a golden standard. Did not matter that it's not fair that Jesus died for us. Did not matter that it was not fair that the Israelites disobeyed and disregarded God, our God, the triune God, through that adversity. That opposition work, worked and continued to work to show that love is more important. That persistence in the face of injustice will win in the end. 
endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God not only gives us love without a catch, but God instills with the Holy Spirit the way to communicate with God, the way to feel the presence of God, the way to be in direct contact with God. It isn't fair. God did get over it, but not by just accepting the unfairness. God addressed it, addresses it still, and God moves beyond it, and in the persistence of love overcomes it. Life isn't fair, but we ought not just accept that. It is the opportunity for us to deal with it, whatever it is. It is the way by which we can refine our faith by working through it, making it better for those around us and learning from it. So my, my challenge to all of us is to consider the fact that life is not fair, but don't just get over it. Use it to become more grace-filled. Use it to become more loving, more understanding, more dedicated to the gospel message. Life isn't fair, but how are we meeting that head-on? How are we dealing with that? Are you allowing it to make you bitter? Are you allowing it to make you angry in a way that makes you crass or unfeeling or more against the progress of the gospel? Or are you choosing to use it to love more, to love better, to offer grace, to offer hope, help, kindness? Are you using the suffering, the opposition, to grow and be better? Life isn't fair, but it's not a reason for us to perpetuate the unfairness. Life is not fair, but let's make it better. I'm not going to uh, continue to repeat life isn't fair. Um, that's that's really the extent of my thoughts on this today. And I invite you all to consider this in your life, in, in the way that you go through life, you go through your ministry, whatever that is, whether you are going to a Bible study or you're leading a Bible study or, or whatever level participation in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. Down in the show notes is the contact for the podcast. You can reach out in social media or through email. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, you can respond directly through a question down in the episode description. I would love to hear your thoughts, your perspectives. Do you agree? Do you disagree? How do you work to move beyond or do you think we ought not move beyond? We ought to dwell in the issue. And what what is that process for you? As always, as you go through life, I hope that you're doing well. Know that God loves you so very much. And there is nothing that you or anyone else can do about that. We'll see you in the next episode.